If you'd like to read along, we'll be in Proverbs chapter 4 this morning for our sermon text. We're going to read verses 14 through 19, but our focus for the text will be verses 18 and 19, the last two verses. So reading at Proverbs 4 and 14, enter not into the path of the wicked, go not in the way of evil men, avoid it, pass not by it, turn from it. And pass away. For they sleep not except they have done mischief, and their sleep is taken away unless they cause some to fall. For they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. But the path of the just is as the shining light that shineth more and more unto the perfect day. The way of the wicked is as darkness, they know not at what they stumble. So focusing on verse 18 and 19, we see a contrast, and therefore we're going to title our message based on that contrast, The Just and the Wicked Contrasted. The Just and the Wicked Contrasted. The Just is mentioned as a shining light in verse 18. The Wicked, the way of the wicked as darkness in verse 19. Now, the Bible is a book of contrast, and particularly concerning these two categories of individuals, the just, which is synonymous with the righteous, and the wicked, are contrasted from Genesis to Revelation in that regard. Always setting contrasted one to the other, opposites in that regard. And Solomon who was the writer of the book of Proverbs, made this contrast very frequently. And I'd like to just uh, give you a few statistics or numbers to start with to show you just how much uh, that he made this contrast between the just and the wicked. Concerning the word just, and again, this is informative. I'm not just giving you information it's good that when you study the Bible, you notice certain things that appear in certain places by certain authors. And I've pointed this out to you, to the church here before. You know, uh, if you're going to look at the word truth, for example, or love, for example, you better get in what John wrote. <laughs> because John used those words more than anybody else, you know. And so just notice those things as you study the Bible. Well, when we come to the word just... The word shows up 87 times total in the Bible, and Solomon used them in the book, used that word in the book of Proverbs 24 times. So the greatest concentration of the word just by one writer or one author is in the book of Proverbs by Solomon. Okay? So the rest are dispersed throughout the Bible. If we're going to use the word righteous, which again is synonymous with the just, if you're talking about the just, you're talking about the righteous and vice versa. This word is used 225 times total in the Bible. And the psalmist, David, uses it about 60 times, but so does Solomon in the book of Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, again, about 60 times. So again, just shows you how much focus there was by Solomon on this. So when you put them together, the just and the righteous, then you've got like 84 times in Proverbs and Ecclesiastes just by Solomon alone speaking about the same individuals. 
When we come to wicked, that word shows up more than the just and the righteous does. Uh, it shows up 325 times total in the Bible, the word wicked referring. And of course, every time it's not the noun the wicked, you know, it may be an adjective wicked men and so forth and so on. But nevertheless, 325 times. Again, the psalmist, David, you've referred to the wicked a lot. 90 times, but again, 89 or 90 times approximately in the book of Proverbs where Solomon refers to the wicked. Add eight more times from Ecclesiastes, and again, Solomon wins out with 97 times using the word wicked. So, our subject is one that Solomon had more to say about or made this contrast more than anybody else. And it's a very clear contrast from our text. Look at it again. The path of the just is as a shining light that shines more and more under the perfect day. Okay, here's this. Set up high. The way of the wicked is as darkness. They know not at what they stumble. So you can just go to ecstasy with the one and depression with the other practically in that regard. But I think immediately to the casual reader or the unlearned student of the Bible, there is a common misapplication when you would read through Proverbs or Psalms and see this contrast constantly set forth, constantly set forth. The obvious thing is, obviously there's two categories of people here, right? I mean, there is the wicked, and there is the just, and there is the righteous. And there is no other place to go. I mean, when Solomon and David and others make this contrast, there is no neutral ground you have to create a third category because it's not in the Bible. So what do people naturally do? What did you do when you were lost? What do you do now when you read a text like this which has this contrast? I bet I can tell you what you did when you were lost because it's the same thing lost people are doing now. If they were to read it, and they say, okay, yeah, they are the just, the righteous, and then the wicked. And the wicked are those out there. It's natural to automatically put ourselves into the just and righteous category because we see the wicked out there. Did you see yourself among the wicked when you were lost? Of course not. That's part of what sin does. It blinds us to our own sin and our own wickedness. So the casual common misconception is, yeah, there's two categories, but I'm in the former one. I'm not in out there with those people to always find somebody well I may be bad but they're worse that's naturally what happens right well we know that's not true according to the Bible there's just not the people that are born into the world just and righteous and live just and righteous lives and others just wicked sinners and you know and the righteous beget righteous and the wicked beget wicked so we always got these two groups no 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 that's not a biblical view at all. The two categories exist, but we're not born into categories like we're born into ranks of society or royalty or nobility. The Bible, when we come to the Bible, it shoots that theory down quickly. The Bible tells us what? There's none righteous. No, not one. And certainly not you. 
Solomon said in Ecclesiastes 7.20, There is not a just man upon the earth that doeth good and sinneth not. So we don't come into the world or become or get ourselves into these categories that Solomon's talking about. Now, we all start out in the same category, and it's the bad category. And that's the message of the Bible, and that's why people don't like to consult the Bible about what category they're in. The Bible says we come forth from the womb, speaking lies in that regard. None just, none righteous, so where does that leave us? We're all wicked. We're all sinners. Then the question naturally needs to be asked, well, who are the just? Who are the righteous? Where do they come from if we're all in the same camp? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. That's the question we want people to ask, isn't it? It is God and His grace that makes people just and righteous. And the only way you can get out of the wicked category or the lost category and get in the just and righteous category is by grace. Not by works of righteousness which we have done because all our righteousness is as filthy rags before God. It is God who makes that translation out of darkness into the kingdom of His dear Son. Out of darkness and into light. It is God that justifies. It is God that makes righteous. And so the just, no, they were not just of themselves. We know we've been justified by the sacrifice and finished work of Christ. We know that we have not, nor do we possess our own righteousness, but we have the righteousness of our Lord and Savior. Now, when we come back to the text again to consider, we would say this to you right off. It mentions the path of the just and the way of the wicked. Can either understand the other's way? Think about that for a moment. Can the wicked understand the path of the just? Can the just understand the way of the wicked? Indeed, the just can understand the way of the wicked because as we just affirmed, that's where we came from to start with. We know the way of wicked. The just do because we've been there. However, the wicked have no clue about the path of the righteous. They are, as we once were, dead in trespasses and sin and spiritually discerned. One way, one path. Those on the path can look over and see what's going on in the way and understand it. But those on the way can't see what's happening over with the righteous in the path. I mean, we who are enlightened can see that because we came from it. We've been given eyes to see that. We know what we've been delivered from and we know where those people are at and what their uh, perspective is, what their thinking is, what their habit is, what their motivation is because we were all there. And sadly, we know what their end is. But those who are over there on that way, the broad road that leads to destruction, have no idea about the path that leads to godliness. If they did, they'd be knocking one another over to get over here. But they have not that understanding no more than we did. So again, we can be sympathetic and compassionate upon the perishing, and they will be what they've always been concerning the path of the righteous, critical and mocking and deriding, just like they were of our Lord who was righteousness. With that in mind, let's proceed, shall we? The contrast is made not only between the righteous and the wicked, but 
it is employed here or illustrated by light and dark, isn't it? The path of the just is a shining light. The way of the wicked is darkness. Now, we all know that this contrast even supersedes the contrast of the just and the wicked. Light and darkness. There's no older or more ancient concept or principle than light and darkness. I mean, right and wrong is not that old. Light and darkness preceded right and wrong. If you read the first three chapters of the book of Genesis, right? I mean, so this is where you start if you want to start with contrast, or really you want to start, period, is because you find it in the first three verses of Genesis. This idea and this concept of light and darkness. And so this is foundational to understanding the Bible because it's throughout the Bible. Light, dark, light, dark, light, dark. All throughout. And so the just are put in the light category or in reference to light and the wicked into the dark category. I mean, the Bible itself, when you just put it out there from what you know of it, it starts with light and it ends with the light. That's a marvelous thing. I mean, in the very beginning, in the third verse of the book of Genesis, and God said, let there be light. I mean, wow. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, in the beginning, God, verse 1. In the third verse, God said, let there be light. And I mean, look at all the stuff we've learned about light and look at what they're still learning with technology about light. God, well, let me tell you where it comes from. God just spoke it into existence. And if you want to know all the science about light, then it all points to God, okay? I mean, light's an amazing thing, but I don't have time to stand here and give you a scientific discourse on light. But put it with God and you'll be all right, all right? And then this marvel, I've got to include it because it just, it just causes your heart to rejoice. In Revelation chapter 22 and verse 5, and there shall be no night there. And they need no candle, neither the light of the sun, for the Lord God shall give them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. I mean, it started with light. It's going to end in light, eternal light, to those that are just, to those that are righteous, and to those that be in Christ. And even back to the 21st chapter, verse 23 through 25, the city hath no need of the sun, neither of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. And it goes on and on to say, no night there through verse 25. Now again, most people when we talk of light, they, they go to the sun. Where do you go? We look past the sun to the one that put the sun there. And remember that in Genesis 3, Genesis 1 and 3, there is no sun. That's later on. God spoke light into existence before there was the sun for a source of man's light. God was that light. And God ends with that light. God dwells in light. God gives light. Christ is the light. And the saints of God are going to dwell in eternal light. Light's a good thing. We like light, don't we? Especially the spiritual light. And of course, we're making a spiritual application here in our text. A spiritual application that is throughout the Bible. I'm going to throw a couple of scriptures at you just to substantiate the things that I'm saying, bring to your memory. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 14, the contrast is clearly seen right here. 
Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? What communion hath light with darkness? So the same contrast Solomon is making, Paul is making, believers in the light, unbelievers in the dark, righteousness, light, unrighteousness, darkness, light, darkness. Okay, so that's throughout the Bible. One more, First Thessalonians chapter 5. Verse 5, ye are all the children of right, writing to believers at Thessalonica, and the children of the day, we are not of the light nor of darkness. So again, no overlapping, two distinct contrasts there throughout the Bible. A spiritual application. And in eternity, think about this, that contrast will be there forevermore because if I just read you, the saints of God are going to dwell in the presence of Him who is light. Christ, the Lamb Himself, will be the light of the literal world, new heavens and new earth then. No sun. And those who walk in darkness and perish in darkness will be cast into outer darkness. So that contrast, folks, started in Genesis, and it's going to be for all eternity. It's never going away. Light and darkness. So, we see the concept there, and that, again, the just and the righteous are made so by the grace of God, And it is the quickening power of the Holy Spirit that not only gives light, but life in the soul, so to speak. Again, going back to Corinthians, uh, let me find it here again, 2 Corinthians, this time chapter 4, and verse 6. For God, who commanded to light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts. To give the light and the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So again, think of that. That's a marvelous text. That text goes back to Genesis 1-3. What did God do in Genesis 1-3? God said, let there be light. You know what God said when you were saved? Let there be light in His soul. Let there be light in her soul. When the Bible says, Lydia, whose heart the Lord opened, what do you think happened when God opened her heart? The Holy Spirit said, just what we read right here. Let there be light in Lydia's soul this day through the preaching of Paul. And guess what happened? That woman was converted on the riverbank by Paul preaching the gospel. And when God saved you, that's exactly what happened to you. Out of darkness, into the light, And it was something that happened inside, not so much outside. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8. Find it right here right quick. Ephesians 5 and 8 says, For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. And let me clarify here. When it says sometimes darkness, that don't mean sometimes you were good, sometimes you were bad. Sometimes there translated simply means formerly or the past. So you were full-time darkness before God saved you. You weren't part-time light, part-time dark. You know, good, bad, here, there, weighing out the works. No. You were formerly darkness, but now 
You are light in that regard. We're close by Colossians. Turn a few pages to your right to chapter 1 and verse 13. Christ who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of of His dear Son. There's that category change that we talked about earlier. From the wicked to the just or the righteous. And finally, Peter, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of Him. Why are we all that? Who hath called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. So that's how we got into the correct category, was by the grace of God, the work of the Holy Spirit, Christ giving us light, and removing the blindness from our eyes. I've got to mention this and then we'll press on to the next point that again righteousness. You know, we are justified freely by his grace. How are we righteous? Well, it's not by our righteousness, not by our right doing, and that's what righteousness is. is. It's simply take the first word right doing is righteousness in that regard. I love the text in, or the scripture text, in Isaiah 61.10. I've always loved this. Concerning how we are righteous, made righteous, why and how we have righteousness, because it speaks of something very simple that I can understand very simply, and you can't get it wrong if you just read it. We have no righteousness of our own. Our righteousness, according to Isaiah 64, is as what? Filthy rags. We know what it's like to wear dirty clothes. If you work, you get dirty. Well, that's what we are before God. So how are we clean? Job asked, how can a man be clean with God? Here's how. I will greatly rejoice, Isaiah 61.10, in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God Here it is. Got it? Grace all the way. For he hath clothed me with the garments of salvation. They're his. He put them on me. He hath covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decketh himself with ornaments, and as a bride adorneth herself with her jewels. And I could just about throw away my notes and just take off on that right there. Not because I'm talented, but I mean... That is just so marvelous, is it not? Because there's a couple things I've got to mention. I'm not going to preach on it, but I've got to mention. Let me tell you this. I've preached this before. Some of you have heard me preach this. Christ just doesn't throw His robe of righteousness over your filthy clothes. We're talking here in metaphors, okay? Like being saved. No. Do you do that? Well, we might have cut some shortcuts sometimes when, you know, we may have not stripped all the way down and, you know, just took off the outer dirty clothes and put on something clean and had to hurry and go somewhere or something. Well, salvation's not like that. No. You get stripped all the way down. Salvation is about getting stripped down to nothing. And we know what a shame it is to be naked from Genesis chapter 3, right? I mean, you know, right? Yeah. You get the full treatment. Stripped down, made clean, and then His righteous robe put on us. It's not ours. It's His. What people see 
on us, in us, by us, through us. It's all of grace. It's His. It's not ours. It's His robe. Okay? All right, let's go on. The two points we want to look at is the two contrasts that are left, obviously, the way of the wicked. We'll look at it first, even though it's mentioned last, because that's where we start out, right? The way of the wicked is darkness. Darkness. Now, if anybody does not know why that is, then again, Genesis 3 tells us, doesn't it? I mean, when Adam and Eve sinned, the human race, beginning with Adam and Eve, our first parents, was plunged into spiritual darkness. Think about it any way you want to that makes sense in your mind on the concept of light and dark, you know? In the garden, there was only light. But when they and sin entered in and the transgression was done, the switch was flipped within Adam and Eve and the lights went out. Spiritually. You got me? They were still alive bodily. They still had their mind. But they went into darkness spiritually. That's why they ran and hid. That's why they knew they were naked. That's why they lied. And that's why every other bad thing happened to them and to us and everything else is because of the darkness of sin. Sin is darkness in that respect. So, when we come into this world as their descendants, as all have, then again, the darkness is inherent within us. I mean, if we had Adam and Eve's DNA, then they could take every human being's DNA and then say we all came, as the Bible says in Acts 17, from the same two parents. Okay? Well, the Scriptures tell us that spiritually we came from the same two parents because we died when they died, spiritually. When the spiritual light went out in their minds and they sinned, they became dead in trespasses and sin and again dead is another good word for darkness right so did we so the way of the wicked when it says is darkness is there because of the inherent depravity sin fall of the human race in Adam and Eve and when it says dead in trespasses and sin it's not only that we were sinners in the state that we were in, but also we were deprived in that state of any spiritual understanding. Okay? That, they kind of overlap, the two things we're saying. Uh, Paul said it best in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, For the natural man receiveth not the things of God, because they're spiritually discerned. But... As sinners, we're just soulish individuals. There's nothing spiritual about us. That part's dead. And it needs to be made alive, and that's indeed what happens when the Holy Spirit quickens it. It comes alive. But until then, we're dead in trespasses and sin. So, the way of the wicked is as darkness. No spirituality and without necessary truth and biblical understanding. This is why the unbelieving always have and have never had the answers that the believers have because they don't consult and accept the Word of God for the answers. This is why all the theories are out there of evolution, of this and that and whatever. Why are we here? Where did we come from? What are we doing here? What are we supposed to do here? And how is it all going to wrap up? They have none of those answers because they're only spiritually discerned from the Word of God. 
So they are in darkness. Yes, darkness. The people we love that are lost. They do not have the peace of the answers that you and I have from God's Word. They have not been spiritually enlightened. They walk in darkness. They're not settled on where they come from. They're not settled on why things are as they are. They're not settled on anything. If they're settled, they're settled on false answers and a false hope. And what they need is spiritual enlightenment just as much as you and I did. We come into this world really in a sense no different than a little puppy or a little cat, blind. And if it were not for God's grace, our eyes would never open of their own like animals' eyes do after so many days. We would always be in that state where we could never understand things. And let me pursue it to that. Let me ask you something. Don't think on this too long now, but I do want you to think about it to make a point, shall I? Can I? If a person, let's say your child, let's suppose we who are parents, we're all parents here. If we had a child born into the world blind, like some we've seen, John 9, for example, if you never told or instructed that child it was blind, would that child ever come to the knowledge and realization it was blind in and of itself? Now again, you're, what you tell them and expose them to would be very critical in that, right? I mean, you couldn't tell them, you know, when they felt of a skyscraper that somebody who could see built that. You know, you know what I'm saying. If you just left that empty and vacant, could they ever come to that? Yeah, I've spent a lot of time, because I was a preacher, you know, the Bible has a lot to say about blindness thinking about what it's like to be blind. Well, we all can close our eyes, right? And we, you know, we, we fumble around and try to perceive. We, we've done that as kids, probably. But none of us would know unless we were there. It would be one thing, wouldn't it, if we who can see were now struck blind. I mean, we've got both sides of the, of the thing to... We know, right? But how can, can you... And if you can enlighten me on this, enlighten me. I, I would love to know more about what it's like to be blind from birth. The difficulty of learning, of comprehending, of understanding with only the other senses. And then if you had some of them missing. The, amazing. I mean, that's, that's a whole different world and realm, is it not? But again, my question, would a person ever know what blindness was unless somebody told them? I'll not tell you what I think here, but nevertheless. Well, I bring that up for this very reason because those that walk in darkness don't know they're in darkness. I mean, that is the sobering reality. When you were lost, you didn't realize how lost you were. When you were dead in trespasses and sin, you didn't understand how dead you were. None of us do. And they don't either. They walk in darkness. Which means without understanding, without seeing. And the text says, stumble that they know not what. You know how that works. We've probably all done that, right? I mean, you can get hurt doing that. Stumbling around in the dark. Trying to do something in the dark that you should have turned the light on. Or 
forced to do something in the dark that you wish you had a light. It's dangerous. A lot of people have got hurt. A lot of people have got killed for that very reason. Well, that's the illustration of the wicked. And again, notice, stumble at they know not what. Don't have the knowledge. Don't have the understanding to know. They stumble. They fall. It hurts. But they don't even know what they tripped over or what they fell over. So there's an absence there of knowing and of knowledge. And that's literal, but that is what is said of those who are lost. Look at Isaiah chapter 59 with me quickly. Isaiah puts it like this. He's speaking of Israel, but he's speaking of the state of those who are sinners, who have not the light and the life of God. Verse 9, Therefore judgment is far from us, neither does justice overtake us. We wait for light, but behold obscurity, for brightness, but we walk in darkness. And that's what wicked people and sinners do today. I mean, things aren't like they would like them to be. They're not like they would understand things to be. They're hoping and waiting for that to happen, but in the meantime, it's just all darkness. Okay, here it is. And we can relate to this whether we've done it or whether we've seen it. We grope for the wall like the blind. Now again, he's talking about spiritual darkness here. And we grope as if we had no eyes. Well, that's what people that don't have eyes or have eyes that don't work do, isn't it? They grope. They're feeling around with their hands, right? And then, of course, a lot of people have the stick, you know, that they use rather than their hands. We stumble at noonday as in the night. We are in desolate places as dead men. Now, stumbling at noonday is a sad description, isn't it? Because what what happens at noonday? That's the brightest light. In the brightest light that there is, men are still dead in trespasses and sin. Jesus was the light. He came to those that sat in darkness. And the darkness ran from the light. In the brightest light, they heard, they saw, they, in a sense, you might say, they handled the word of light. John uses that description. And yet they preferred darkness rather than light. Jesus made the illustration. I've got to throw this in here. Remember, He's the chief cornerstone. And if you stumble on that rock, it's going to hurt you. If you fall on the rock, you know, but if the rock falls on you, it's going to grind you to powder. I mean, it's what lost people do with the gospel and with Christ. Those that crucified Christ, what'd they do? They stumbled on the rock. The light was right before them, the light of the world, and they crucified him. They put out the light because men love darkness rather than light. So this is a sad statement. But this is where we were, and we need not look at others now, do we? I mean, we can look right back where we were. What were we doing? But when you were lost, you're stumbling through life. I mean, if you think you're stumbling through life now, you were really stumbling through life back then, weren't you? Oh, we thought we knew. We thought we knew what we were doing, where we were at, the decision we were making, where we were going, and we were going to work it all out, right? All wrong, right? Yeah, all wrong. All wrong. There is a way. The way of the wicked. Proverbs 14, 12. That seemeth right. It seems right. That's the deception. And the devil will tell you it's right. 
but the end thereof is death. Contrast this, and we'll make the last point. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount talked about a way, didn't he? What was that way? Broad way. Broad enough to be called a highway. Like the super highways we got is what I envision. I mean, when you get in these big cities and have six or eight lanes going one way, it's a big way. It's a broad way. And what did the Lord say about that? Many, most, majority, I take it when he says many, go that way. And what does it lead? Destruction. Now think about that just briefly. Again, this is not our sermon, but it is a sermon within a sermon, isn't it? You've been in one of those cities and there's six or eight ways and what does people tell us? All roads lead to heaven. No. There's one way to heaven. But all the rest of them roads all lead to one place and that's hell. So take any lane you want, any lane you choose, wherever you feel most comfortable, Outside, right side, left side, inside, in the middle, wherever it is. And that's like your own righteousness, this religion, that religion, this philosophy, that philosophy. But guess what? You're all going to lump up in the same place. Unless you're on the path. And Jesus mentioned there in Matthew seven thirteen, Broadway, verse 14, there is a straight gate and a narrow way. Anybody who grew up in the country knows what a narrow way is. It's a cow path, or an animal path, or a dog path, or literally, and I'm not being cute, the path to the outhouse. I mean, but if you grow up in the country, you got paths. Okay? We all understand that. So the one is a broad way, the other is a narrow path. And Jesus said, few, few, there'll be that travel that in contrast to the broad way. So our text again, the way of the wicked, darkness. They don't know where they're going. They don't know where they're going to end up. We didn't either. But the Bible tells us. And we tell them, but they don't believe that. Just like we didn't believe that when people told us for a long time, right? And if you're walking around in the dark, you can walk off anything, can't you? You can walk off a bluff, you can walk into the water, you can walk into anything that your other senses can't detect and perish. And that's exactly what's happening to the wicked by multitudes and groves day by day. Always has, always will, until the end because of that darkness. And I've got to say one thing here, and I'll have to really hurry to try to make this last point. Light can shine upon those who are in darkness, and indeed it does. We talked about it in Sunday school this morning. When the gospel, the Bible, goes to those and is proclaimed to those that sit in darkness, they can feel the effects of that. You know, I'd use the illustration of like closing your eyes and you can't see, but you know, to those of us who can see, you can still perceive light through your eyelids, can't you? It wakes me up of a morning. Even though my eyes are closed and I'm asleep, light will wake me up. That just going through my eyes. Well, we're, we're blinder than that spiritually. But you know, enough light on you, just like you step out there, if this building was darkness and you stepped outside and the sun's shining and you're blind, you're not going to see the light. 
You're not going to know the light's there, but you will feel the presence of that light on your skin by the warmth, won't you? Well, I think that's a good illustration to show you what it's like to be dead in trespasses and sin, and I certainly related to that when I was lost. The gospel would, I'd feel the gospel warmth sometimes, and I felt like that gospel warmth was literally the flames of hell licking at me. And it'd scare me. And you know what I'd do? I'd get away from it. <laughs> I didn't like it. And that's what people do when they sit under biblical teaching or hear the gospel preached or the Bible's brought up or the law of God is brought up in the Ten Commandments. They may not see the light, but they feel the heat of the light. And they quickly, like a rat or a roach, run back to darkness just like we did. It's very sad, isn't it? But only God can open the sinner's eyes to the light. And thank God He does. The path of the just is as a shining light. Okay, contrast, right? A path, we've covered that. A narrow way compared to the broad way. But it is a lighted path. And there's all kinds of things we could say, but we don't have time to say them except this. That again, lighted in two ways. First of all, when God saves a sinner, you know, the light shines in us, right? Now we read that in our hearts. So there's, there's a light within when God saves you. The light shines into your cold, dark, stony heart. And wow, what we see is terrifying, isn't it? But that's what every sinner needs to say. We call it conviction, don't we? What does light always do? Leave here with this if you hadn't heard nothing else. Or if you hadn't got nothing else has been very important, look at this. Light is always exposing and revealing, isn't it? And that's what the gospel does, and that's what the law does, and that's what the truth does. It reveals the truth about us. And what do we say when God opened your eyes to you, just like Isaiah, woe is me, I'm unclean, I'm a man of unclean lips. There's hope for you. There's hope for you when the light exposes you and you see yourself as God sees you. That's the most marvelous thing that can ever happen to anybody and that's what we pray for. When we say pray for the lost, we're praying that God would show them their selves against the backdrop of His holy law against the light what would light mean without darkness <laughs> you know it's a contrast isn't it the Holy Spirit indwells those whom he quickens doesn't he and that light is within we are the children of light therefore Jesus could say let your light so shine it's not our light it's his light he was the light of the world now that light's within us so it's literally his light reflecting through us out of us right I mean, we can't even lay claim to that. It's God which worketh in you both to will and to do of His good pleasure. It's not my light, it's His light. We are what? Well, Paul said it. Man, all kinds of things are coming to my mind. We have this treasure in earthen vessels, but His light shines out of this earthen vessel. Aren't we glad it does? His light. And we walk... On the path that's lighted. Wonderful today, isn't it? All these little solar things they got. I go all kinds of places dragging a propane hose and there's nothing more 
aggravating than trying to keep that hose from breaking off them little plastic solar lights that people put around, you know, all around their walkways, all around their cars. And boy, in the cold, they'll snap off quicker than a toothpick, you know. But they're marvelous, pretty little things, aren't they? And, and it's wonderful, lighted path. Well, before those come out, believers in all ages have always had a lighted path, haven't we? What does the Bible say in Psalms 119, 105? Thy word is a light unto my path. As believers, we don't have to walk in the dark anymore, do we? You can walk in all the light you want. And the more light you take advantage of, the more light He'll give you. And that's what it means when it says it shines brighter and brighter until the perfect day. Think of it, believer, today. Here as we close, how blessed we are. We've been called out of darkness into light. The light indwells us, right? That spiritual light and life, the Holy Spirit, God, the Holy Spirit indwells us, so we're lit up inside. That light shines out in our lives. And then the Word of God is our light as we travel through this world. And like Christian, we're headed to the ultimate light, aren't we? That perfect day. And it shines more and more. Let me ask you a question today, Christian. Is your spiritual light shining more and more and brighter and brighter today than it was? If you say no, shame on you. Why not? Why not? The more shines in us and the more it shines in our path, the brighter the brighter it should get, right? I mean, we have time. We have experience. We're getting more knowledge. I used to use the idea of the dimmers, you know, that they put on the wall to, to you know, that's pretty fancy when they came out, wasn't it? I mean, you could literally dim or, or really turn that light up in the house. Now that's obsolete. I mean, we got so many little lights and things and we can... A flashlight's got more functions than those things had today, isn't it? I mean, again, fantastic. But it's not hard for us to understand this, is it? Shines brighter and brighter. God working in us. And that's what we want because guess what? Guess what? The brighter the light, the less chance of stumbling, right? If that light's dim, and we've been there and done that as Christians, right? Well, let me tell you something else. If you leave home without your flashlight, you probably will stumble. When we neglect the light, the Word of God, we set ourselves up to skin our knees or something worse. It prevents us from stumbling, from error, from asking dumb questions, from getting involved in dumb philosophies. The Bible has the answers. Where are you at today? The way of the wicked, the path of the just. I didn't ask you how happy you were. Where are you going to end up with the way you're headed today? I hope you can answer that in a heartbeat, positively from the Word of God, that you know beyond any shadow of doubt. As Paul said, I know in whom I believe. And I'm confident He's going to get me where I'm headed. If you're a believer today and you've been saved by the grace of God, you can have that peace and know that beyond a shadow of doubt. If you're on the way of the wicked... Say, well, how do I know if I'm on the way of wicked? Very simply, have you obeyed the gospel? Christ said, repent of your sins, confess your sins, and He'll be faithful and just to forgive you your sins. Have you ever done that? Or do you deny your sins? Do you deny that you're wicked? Do you think you're good enough for heaven? All of those thoughts come from those who are on the wrong way.
the way of the wicked. Repent, believe, you can be on the path that leads to eternal life. God bless this to your hearing.